We are excited to be joined by Paul Miller to talk about his brand new book, A Praying Church. Welcome and thanks for joining us, Paul. It's great to be with you, David. Oh, thank you, Paul. Great to be with you as well. Paul, before we get stuck into the questions, feel free to take a moment to introduce yourself. Well, I'm almost 70 years old. I grew up out in California and Oregon, so I'm a West Coast Californian, and I married a Philadelphian, which I, I'm sure there's UK you know, equivalents to that, but they're, they're as different as night and day, you know. Uh, right. Philadelphians are famous for booing Santa Claus. You actually can see a time where he came out on our Eagles field and booed Santa Claus. I was just anyway. Philadelphians are very real, you know. And right. Californians can we can be a little shallow on our left to ourselves, you know. In our and anyway, I could go on and on. So, um, so I've I've been in some kind of ministry. My my almost my whole working life uh so uh in about 10 years in inner city uh what we i guess say now urban christian schools and um uh and then uh, i started with my dad dad and i started a mission called surge was there for many years and uh then started see jesus 24 years ago so yeah that's yeah wonderful Paul, you, you wrote a best-selling book, A Praying Life. What yeah. prompted you to write your new book specifically about a praying church? Well, it had been on my heart for many years. And it's kind of like if a praying life is psychology, a praying church is sociology. So there, there's a real balance to one. You know, you really need both. And you, you see both in the book of Acts, the community at prayer, and then the whole Cornelius Peter uh, sequence, you, you have uh, a, a lot of references to private prayer. So it kind of gives Luke an opportunity to show a different kind of praying. And I think the church and the church leans so heavily now on private prayer and does even that pretty badly, but uh, right. corporate prayer particularly in America, and I kind of think it's all through the West is just dead um, in the water. I mean, it's just uh, a Barnapol came out. It was a pretty close study they did that came out before the pandemic uh, that uh, that. So this is America. Seventy percent of Americans pray and of all stripes. And the by far the vast majority of that are uh, Christians, but of those seventy percent, only four percent in the last three months, in the previous three months from that survey, had prayed with someone else, and e even even that surprised me. You know, yeah. so prayerlessness, corporate, like, like so, it's it's kind of like we we don't even know how to use this tool anymore. Yeah. yeah. You start your new book by giving us an insight into your own prayer routine in the morning, which really blessed me. T tell us about that, Paul. Well, I start in the morning praying first with Jill. So we usually get up around 5.15 or so, 5.30. And uh, then, and then um, after coffee and a few things that J Jill and I will read the Bible separately, but, but, but pray together and praying with, Jill is she, she her she's all her her she prays so well, but she's all over the map, and um and I'm this systematic 
you know, um, you, you know, and, and she just prays so beautifully from her heart. So it, it, it was, it was hard. That was really took a long, long time to get to pray together. So I, I just, you know, we, we pray through all our grandkids, all our children. We have six children and 14 living grandkids and uh, five of them married. Uh, and so just that, so that, you know, it's just, it's, it's kind of a, what, 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 I, what I realized is kind of a personal liturgy. And then Kim and I, our daughter has disabilities. If you read a praying life, um, we have breakfast together. And then after that, we have our little prayer time, which is very different. You know, this mainly me just kind of prompting Kim and and it's really sweet. Um, and so, so and, and she types her prayers out on her speech computer. And then I go to work, which is a ministry. And um, three times a week, we have an hour prayer time at work. So on Monday morning, you know, we we, we it, it's much more organized. We've been praying together. So it's it, it's a really lovely time of sharing. And then we sort of get to the work of prayer. So uh, yeah. I, I, I realized a few years ago that I, I I didn't set out to do this, but I tied my work time to prayer and to part of half to corporate and half to personal prayer. Yeah, yeah. So good. I hadn't planned to ask you this, Paul, but I'd be really interested to know. You've got decades of ministry experience behind you. Was there a moment in, in, in time that you can remember where prayer became a priority for you or or has it always been this way? And, and if it has become, if you can remember a time, what actually prompted that? You, you know, the big prompt for me, I mentioned the Book of Praying Life was, you know, with um, was in 92 when our kids were like ages four to 17 and six children and Kim with disabilities and a really tight budget. And they, they, I mean, the number of different ways they could quarrel together, just I'm sure you could do the math on it. You could create a, a logarithm to figure out the number of different ways six kids could fight. You're and right. uh, I think I did once. I just sort of charted out like there were 36 different combinations that I came up with. And we hit all of them. And I thought, you know, I, it just, and I begin to notice, I, I had really begun to pray for two years, but I was more sporadic. Like I'd, one day I would, one day I would. And, and the nice thing about it is I could, I, I, I like results. And I noticed that our family was different when I prayed through everybody carefully every day. And I was different. And that, that was probably the, the, the biggest trigger for me. Uh, there were a lot of other things going on. Yeah, yeah, so good. How have you seen prayer transform the church, Paul? Well, I was privileged to, particularly corporate prayer, I was privileged to be... Sorry. Um, I was privileged to be a bystander at first and then a participant in in two churches that really made prayer... Uh, that, that functioned at the DNA level. And I tell the story in the book, but I'll just give you the short version of it. My dad had just become a, a professor at Westminster Seminary in 1968. He just got his PhD. He, he, he was a pastor in a conservative Presbyterian church denomination and uh, had now become a leader in that denomination. And, uh, and, and he decided to visit Labrie. He actually visited a place um, also in Amsterdam and in London. And 
uh, he encountered, so this was in 1968, and he encountered something he had never seen before, and that was prayer at the heart of a community. And I, I don't think it was happenstance that the, that Europe was already post-Christian at that point, and uh, or certainly way ahead of the United States in that in that movement. And it, I, I remember him walking in the back door. Uh, I was 15 at the time. And he had encountered something. He, he just couldn't get his mind around it. Um, they were taking seriously something he wasn't. And uh, he, he so good theology he took seriously, love of the word, you know, all, you know, everything in order as a Presbyterian took that, you know, all that things we took seriously. But but he, he just and, and so and it was in reading a couple years later in a sabbatical he took in Spain and reading Gerhard Voss, Pauline eschatology that just dad discovered that the spirit of Jesus is really the center of the church and it blew him out of the water. And that it, it was so it, it increased his vision, his sense of the immensity of the gospel and that that. So it wasn't just prayer. So he brought prayer. And so we almost immediately saw not immediately, within six months, there was a renewal that broke out at our little country church north of Westminster, where dad was part. We probably saw 30 people become Christians. And then dad started a church near Westminster Seminary. So dad's still a professor there. And that there were, it was just a outpouring of your spirit, uh, of God's spirit at so many levels with prayer kind of at the at the DNA of the church with this real sense that we live now in the age of the spirit. So, and I, I was in that for, I was in that church for 24 years and deacon and an elder. So I was just, I saw that happen. I saw it work. I saw God do beyond all that we could ask or even imagine. I mean, Tim Keller credits our prayer meeting at that church for the start of his work in New York. And he, 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 he was part of our church. And I, I think he's right. I would, so I, I saw God do, and that was just one of a dozen things that were just, wow, look what God yeah. did that, that we, you, yeah. you couldn't even, you couldn't predict at all, you know? Yeah. So yeah, incredible. Incredible. You mentioned that during that time you saw 30, you know, people come, come to the Lord, uh, Paul. And, and we also know, don't we, like you've just said that, many churches have forgotten how to pray so j- just give us some tips how, how does a church pray for for growth how, how does, should a church be praying to to see people born again and to, to be joining the local the local church well i i actually uh so we have this a praying church seminar and it's helped help help me to it helped to do a little diagnostics on that on my experience of a praying churches and then in being in non-praying churches, and there, there, there are six things that are are my observation on that that a church needs, and it's interesting. You can, and I can see different ones of those waxing and waning in the, those two churches. So uh, some of them are just really uh, uh, practical. Uh, it is that you really need a, a praying pastor who is the 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 overall the senior pastor if it's a one-person church or it's a big church with a lot of that senior pastor needs to have a praying a praying life and then the leadership of the church needs to be praying and is it interesting in the first church 
uh, dad was a praying pastor, but we didn't have the, the elders were more sort of tagging along and it, it wasn't as much part of their life. Um, so the third thing is, uh, is a, is, is that really needs to be a spirit of prayer in the congregation that people are quick to pray in the hallway, like little, little prayer meetings aren't like official, but people praying together in a conversation when a problem comes, Hey, can we just pray about this now? So there's, it's just, it's just, you move into prayer easily. And a fourth area for want of a better term, I call spirit management, capital S Holy spirit management. And that, that, that is that, that that there, there's this sense of waiting on God that, that you, you aren't just going from problems to program that, that, that there is, uh, you're going from problems to prayer to program. And it, actually, you're not, if that's actually not quite accurate, you're going from problems to prayer. And that is inviting uh, the rule of Jesus into your community. So yeah. it, it actually is a slowing yeah. down at the core of the community. And then the fifth area is you really need systems and for for encouraging private prayer life and training people on that and then you need systems in corporate prayer life and structures like you need prayer programs you, you know what i mean that that people are learning how to pray that actually include include teaching people how to pray so yeah. it, it, and if any of those is missing it'll it'll hurt the church um and, and it's just a quick example so in the first church um there was a spirit of prayer. Uh, my dad was a praying leader. We had a prayer meeting that was really well attended. So you had a lot of those elements, but there was no spirit management and the praying leadership was weak. So after a couple of years of this really amazing renewal, the elders said, dad was just half time. We need a full-time pastor. And they were right that they, it was a, it was a, it was good management. But then they, they went into a solution, which was they told Jack, my dad, um, either you have to resign from Westminster or we're going to have to go call someone else. So it was just it sort of missed the entire thing that the right. spirit was doing. And uh, it, it was sort of bad. It was even just bad business management. It wasn't even good management. And uh, dad didn't want to leave Westminster at that point. And. Uh, they could have easily gone out and hired an associate. I mean, it, I mean, that wasn't that difficult to do that. Who, you know, who could have borne some of the pastoring load? Yeah. And uh, so, Dad said, "No, I, I really want to stay at Westminster." And so they they had a, a, a amicable a amicable uh, parting, and um, so it was good in that respect. But the it, the renewal just died. I mean, it just it just died. You know, and so that that's kind of what I mean. Like you, you can, it really needs to permeate all the layers of the church. Yeah. Yeah. That's so helpful, Paul. Really, really good stuff. Thank you for sharing that. What what did Jesus teach us about prayer and how did he role model that to us, Paul? Well, you know, the book of Luke, as you know, David is, is, a is, you know, is filled with Jesus praying and, I actually have it in our praying church seminar. It really is a lovely visual. We put Luke and Acts side by side. We put all the text in Luke and Acts that refer to prayer, either Jesus praying or uh, the people of God praying. 
and when and, and you put on 11 by 18 it's really neat to see so we color jesus red and the church i think we color it green and when when we're praying there's almost no green in the book of luke i mean there's a couple prayer like, like they're praying when uh zechariah goes into the temple and you've got anna uh praying and there's a reference to zechariah praying and after that there's zip there's no references to and in fact it ends with jesus failure to start a prayer meeting with at gethsemane he, he, right, he right, right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it shows how important it is to for jesus to get inside of us which is what pentecost yeah. is you know yeah. but but it, it just his so luke really more than anybody picks up jesus prayer life and all his teaching on prayer and what when you look at the history of prayer the neat thing i.e in the bible um is that is that jesus so the temple more than anything is a house of prayer i mean that really leaps out of the old testament and we tend to look at it we we you know we tend to look at it through non-praying blinders and miss how much prayers in the old testament so when you get to luke by the end of luke you say wow and G- jesus even says the temple has ceased to be a house of prayer and clearly jesus is the praying temple yeah. um yeah. so it's just a it's a lovely way of looking at uh the church and it, it it's like it's like breathing in the church yeah, so good. What is different between praying on our own and praying with a community of believers? And why are both important? Um, they're very different. In our praying church, in our praying church seminar, we 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 have an opening time where they pray privately and then pray in a little group. And I have them after that compare the feel of those two different times. And uh, and also their reaction. What do they like? And people are all over the map. Some really find the group praying hard. Some prefer private praying. Some much prefer, you know, some prefer the group praying. And pr- I mean, it's just, it's people are all there. They're very different animals that complement one another. They have the same core structures, but their expression is different. I mean, one of the most obvious ones is that when you're praying on your own, uh, love is not as critical, uh, but when you're, you're praying with other people, you're combining love and prayer, and so you need to be attentive to other people. And it, in some ways, it's it's easier at one level because it makes the praying easier. But you need to, but the actual work of praying, praying in conversation, and people haven't been taught how to pray together, and that gives a lot of prayer meetings or group gatherings of prayer jerk a jerky feeling that people bring their style of personal prayer into the prayer meeting and they completely ignore what the last person prayed for which if you were out with friends for dinner or lunch you 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 wouldn't you know uh be talking about football one minute and then talking about your ankle the next that was hurt you know what i mean you just you know it would be odd and yeah. and but but people bring so they bring their their sort of individual style of praying into group prayer and it makes it really weird you know yeah 
Yeah. That's so, so, so true, isn't it? It's so true. You you tell a story about an East Indian evangelist in the book and, and a prayer meeting that sums up the mindset for the midweek prayer meeting for so many people. Tell us about that, Paul. Well, yeah, it's a great little story. It was in uh, Christianity Today here in America. And, uh, it, 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 you know, this East Indian evangelist comes to this mega church and, um, you know, 3,000 people on Sunday morning and the pastor announces the prayer meeting and, and he, he goes to the prayer meeting on Wednesday. He's concerned. He comes to the room and there's only, uh, you know, it's only got space for 500 people. He's a little concerned that, and he gets there early because he wants a good seat. He's really concerned that there'll be, you know, is this building big enough? You know, is the room big right. enough for all the people to come And The prayer meeting starts at seven and no one's there. So he goes out and looks at the sign and yeah, I'm in the right place. And 7.15, the leader shows up and the, the, over the next half hour, another six people show up and the, the guy has a short devotional and he closes in prayer, the leader, and they all leave. And the pastor who had talked about how important this one never shows up. I mean, it's a perfect description of lip service to prayer and it, it just um, completely, I mean, it's not serious. It's probably the most obvious thing. It's, it's not important. It has no weight to it. You know, that Hebrew word for glory, kavod, you know, weight. It's just, it's not important, you know, and, and that, and, and it, if I had to pick the single most important metric for how a church is doing, uh, at, 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 are they attentive to the spirit of Jesus? It would be, what's your life of prayer like? Now, oddly enough, if I had to say, if I had to pick um, uh, a, a metric, and metrics are not, um, you, you know, they're not um, spiritual. You know what I mean? I, 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 yeah, you have to be careful of metrics. You know, particularly in American culture, we're so driven by metrics. Uh, but still, it, it it is a very good indicator of what what they think about Jesus. <laughs> you know, yeah. it, like yeah. I, so we worship Jesus, we preach about him, we study him, but are we actually attentive to him? Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, in, in the book, I tell that parable, which you, you read, David, of the missing CEO of a company that does that, that does everything. It studies its leader, but it never talks to him. You know, yeah. and it's just it's corny, you know, it's just. Yeah, 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 no, so true. So so why do you think that the church today is so lacking in the understanding and practice of praying together then, Paul? Kelly, there's so many sides to that. So I'll, I'll just try to rattle them off. Um, the, I mean, I, I do think the single most important thing is secularism. And the single most important thing that happened within secularism is the rise of uh, mass media and uh, that that because mass media brought the secular mind into the living room of of, you know, beginning with the radio and television and then, of course, our smartphones and the internet. So it brought, it, we, we were able to keep the enlightenment worldview at some distance uh, from the church, but other than the university, uh, it really hadn't captured too much 
in the culture other than the university, say by the, you know, the 1920s. But the rise of mass media just brought in that, that, that kind of a functional deism. So prayer is just, and then I think, I mean, there are other strands. I think the wealth of the West, you know, uh, money allows you to do what prayer does, except it keeps you in control and you don't have to go through the dying and rising of Jesus. You know, you, you know, it's just, um, I mean, it doesn't, it, but, it, but it feels that way initially. Yeah. And as pragmatism has entered the church, it seems that we can at times become so busy, doesn't it? Focused on what needs to be done to stop, to stop and slow down and pray. How has this become the case and what are some tips to fight this? Oh, golly. Uh, um, it, let me just go biblical and just uh, uh, the, the fight for a personal prayer life, your own life of prayer, is to become personally dependent. That in of itself is enough of a fight. And I go into that. I mean, that's really kind of the core of a praying life is to becoming like Jesus in his dependence. And now in corporate prayer, what is it to become corporately dependent? And how is it that we begin to become aware corporately that we can't do life on our own? And corporately that we're so I'm 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 trying to paint a positive vision of where we're going. And so it it is. And so the opposite of that, how do we get there is we we, you know, we've become self-sufficient. You know, we've inhaled the spirit of the age. And I mean, I think that's the tendency. Obviously, that's the tendency, the flesh, the human heart. Um, And um, so we didn't need the spirit of the age to do it, but the spirit of the age certainly functions like an accelerator on that. And so, and I mean, I think, I mean, the pandemic is an answer to my prayers. I did not pray for the pandemic. Well, well, maybe I should say that a little more carefully that, that what God did through the pandemic is an answer to my prayers, that God would draw the church of Jesus Christ into a fellowship of his suffering. And uh, it, 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 yeah, because uh, the church had just it was just self-sufficient, you know. Yeah, it, it was particularly here in America. I mean, just very aware of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so true. When you look at a typical evangelical church day in twenty twenty three, how does it compare with the model that Paul showed to the Ephesians? Wow. Uh, I mean, the, the the little quick critique, and I have to really explain this, or or someone's going to get really mad at me. It is that when when you look when I when I look at the church and I'm, I'm close to many churches and particularly I look at it through how the pastor looks at the church and the congregation really picks this up so there's really a unity between the pastor and the, and the, that the three most important things are Sunday morning uh, and the sermon and then consequently the pastor and I am not critical of any of those I I thank God for the the sermon, the 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 officer core that God's given the church, uh, our pastors and leaders and elders, uh, I, I, and and if I had to pick the single most important metric for how well, kind kind of I would call it a basement metric of how you are doing as a Christian is are you attending church? So, but it's different. But but a metric is different from 
its value, if, if I'm the weight of something, you, you know. So and so when I look at the book of Ephesians, what's the dominant? What's the most important thing? It's not Sunday morning, even though that's important. I mean, it, and it's implied, you know, all through the New Testament. It's the spirit of Jesus. And what Paul, what you see Paul modeling in Ephesians, I mean, the whole first uh, chapter is Paul praying. He prays his sermon. It's It begins with a prayer of blessing and a prayer of asking. And we completely miss that Paul's praying. And then, in fact, I I, I did a, a word count on it. Um, so forty-five uh, percent of Ephesians one, two, and three is Paul praying, yeah. and yeah. Uh, it, it, and and he um, and, and so pr- prayer is this is the way I describe it this way is <clears throat> the the one of the <clears throat> strange things about Paul's gift list. He's got a bunch of them. Is there's no gift of prayer, and which is odd because some people really pray better than others. My wife prays better than me. You know, if you heard her pray and you heard me say, "Yeah, Paul, you, unfortunately, you're correct." Uh, I mean, my prayers are mechanical. I'm methodical. I I pray systematically. She her heart just kind of overflows. I I'd rather listen to her pray than me pray. Okay. So why is it some people pray better, but there's no gift of prayer? And <clears throat> and I think the answer is, is 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 because you look at the New Testament, there's no gift of breathing. It is it is it's what we do. It's the heart of ministry. And and the, what pops out of the book of Ephesians. Oh, I forgot the third thing. So the three big things in the book of Ephesians. Number one is the spirit of Jesus. Number two is prayer. And number three is the saints. Um. And uh, and the and the the prayer drive I call it the drivetrain of the church and it's got four words to it prayer you know a drivetrain in your or the powertrain like the powertrain in your car or whatever you know goes from your you know your engine to your transmission to the axle and out to the wheels and and that the the powertrain of the church is the is uh, that Paul models is prayer leading to the gift of the spirit who brings us Jesus and that leads to spiritual power. So it's prayer, Jesus, spirit, power. And so Paul prays that like in Ephesians 3, 14 to 21. And I'm going to botch, I don't have it memorized well, but I bow my knees to the father uh, from whom uh, every family in heaven on earth is named that out of his glorious riches he will strengthen you with power through his spirit so that christ will dwell in your heart through faith and there's the power train you're praying it's very trinitarian you're praying to the father for the gift of the spirit to make christ present and out of that comes spiritual power yeah so so that yeah that that it's actually two different ways of doing church yeah 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 i think you touched on this a little bit earlier on paul you tell the story in your book about how your dad came to realize the right, power of prayer right. it is about that paul uh well it, it was just that delightful story of dad realizing that from him his visit to labrie so he spent two years 
he he actually asked the question when he came back. He and, and he mentioned in his book Outgrowing the Underground Church he has a chapter called Who Killed the Prayer Meeting, and his answer, typical of Dad, was, "Golly, I killed the prayer meeting, you know, right. and I did it by talking, you know what I mean?" Um, in my denomination seminary, which I love my denomination, I encourage people to go to their seminary. They have four courses on communication, nothing on praying. And um, that that's very typical in my, particularly my Reformed heritage and my Reformed world is where we, we have this strong. And, and so dad brought his skill set, which was preaching into the prayer meeting by talking and to make the prayer meeting better. But he ended up killing the prayer meeting. You know, right. so I watched dad, I'm only 15 at the time, start praying in the prayer meeting, you know, <laughs> and, and and then I saw God begin to do wonders. I remember yeah. after dad sort of had this discovery from reading Gerhardus Voss, when, when, when dad made that discovery, he, I remember sitting, so I'm only 17 at the time, sitting in the back of this little country chapel, there's only 80 people in the so this is not your typical charismatic megachurch. This is these are farmers and country people. You know, you know, I I could easily envision something like this all through UK. You know, yeah, um, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and um, and uh, you know, there there was a Solomon's head of Christ behind Dad, which is a reformed person. I don't know if you know it. This kind of effeminate Jesus and dad hated it. And he, he couldn't wait to get rid of it. Oh, oh, what, what he did. And he had this plotted out when they painted the church and they had to take it down. He kind of hid it in a back closet in the church and never put it up again. Um, right. and, um, so, I mean, it was just a typical ingrown little church and the renewal begin with my dad and his, his sense that, wow, um, we live in the age of the spirit. And so I, I dad preached sermon after sermon on this. And he, I would say he preached himself into believing, um, because yeah. he would tell that to people preach long enough till you believe it. And, right. uh, so right. here, here's the before and after of dad. And you can see it in the pictures too. Dad hardly ever smiles in the, his pictures before 1970. I mean, it's sort of a reform commitment to depression. Um, and um, in, in the, um, so here's dad pre-discovering pre this. So he knew about, is it Ezekiel 47, the river of grace coming out of the temple? I think uh, that there's this huge river of grace. Uh, this is, and the beautiful thing about the river, it starts out small and gets bigger and bigger and bigger. You know, you're up to your ankles, your knees, your waist, and then it's so deep. And it's it's the it's it, it, it's the it's it's this it's a prophecy of the outpouring of the spirit. And then you go to Revelation, and there's that same river of grace pouring out. And and so Dad knew that, and what he discovered from reading Gerhardus Voss, and it wasn't Voss that did it, it was Voss's reading of Paul uh, that blew dad out of the water, that, wait a minute, that river started at Pentecost. Yeah. And that when Jesus said, when he got up 
um, at the Feast of Tabernacles, probably on the last day when the priest would pour out water on the on the sacrifice, symbolizing the outpouring of the spirit on the uh, the last day at that. And that, that's when Jesus got up, John 7, 37 to 39, that when Jesus said, anyone who believes on in me, out of him, rivers of living water will come. Yeah. And he said that yeah. about the spirit. Yeah. So yeah. I, I remember sitting in the back of, back of that church. I, I was a believer, not a particularly good one, um, a lot of doubts. Um, probably a very pure one, you know, just a lot of, uh, you know, I'm sure I don't even think I was a believer. And, um, but, but I remember thinking you can't be that excited about Jesus and not have God do something big. Yeah. And yeah. God did. I mean, we had kids from the counterculture, hippies coming to Christ, drug people. We yeah. opened our home up. I mean, it was just, it was just this overflow of grace. Yeah. That you yeah. couldn't figure out, you couldn't plan it ahead of time, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah. I could go on and on, but yeah. um, it, no, it was so really good. quite striking. Yeah, yeah, so good, Paul. You, you you'll be so familiar with this situation. But in public prayer, it can become a a temptation to wander off into using theological language, looking spiritual on the outside but hollow in the inside. Tell us about the dangers of this, Paul. Well, I'm going to direct this particularly to pastors. Well, I'll, I'll direct it to both laity and pastors. Let me first do laity, okay? Uh, um, all the saints. Um, I like to call the laity the saints, and then the pastors I like to call the equipping saints, okay? So, or the disappearing saints, because when you equip, you're, you're pushing other people out. Uh, so... Uh, in America, it's very common, and maybe you guys aren't as bad as we are. I'm quite willing to admit that. Um, it's very common to say, I'll keep you in my prayers. But there's not much of a prayer life to keep them in. It's just sort of glib right. spiritual yeah. talk. And it actually breaks the third commandment. I mean, you probably know, David, the third commandment is not primarily against swearing, although I think it covers that. I mean, I think the big breakers of the third commandment are Christians with glib spiritual talk. And so we are taking God's name in vain when we say, I'll pray for you. Uh, and, and, and we don't. And, yeah. um, so it's better. So at our seminars, I say, look, you know, just, just pray for them right then or write it down. We have this whole prayer card system that we use. Uh, but, but you much, I mean, each of us has so much capacity to pray. So why not just pray right there? And if you remember, then go pray at home, but don't tell them you're you're going to pray. You, you know, or just be careful of that. And then for pastors, if you pray better in public than you do privately, start praying shorter, more bland public prayers. Um, and I said, the last thing you do is don't preach on prayer. Like I, I do these, I do these pastors cohorts for learning how to pray as a pastor. I said, and they want to, they, they want to go out and do a, they're so excited. So they go to their skill set, which is a good skill set. And they want to preach on prayer. And I say, no, 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 no. Luke 16, you know, John 12, you know, Luke 16, who's faithful and little will be 
you know, your field will expand. John 12, it's the seed that dies that bears much fruit. So let, let this be a seed. Let that seed grow. You know, be faithful. You know, develop your prayer closet. Develop praying with friends. Don't don't go to big programs. You know, let the kingdom has this a beautiful cadence to it that Jesus, Luke, uh, you know, the, the the Matthew 13 kingdom parables pick up. You know, it's the seed that goes in the ground and it comes up the farmer not knowing how. So there's a cadence to the kingdom. And whatever you do, let it flow out of that cadence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So good. We're often task focused. And if we sit back and reflect, many of us would admit to not stopping and thanking God for the countless prayers that he's answered for us previously. How important is it for us to stop and reflect on this, Paul? Uh, really important. It's why we encourage journaling, why we encourage our prayer card system. And within, um, uh, I, I, I love, in the church, and I'm not going to use the word prayer meeting because I don't know what structural will have, but the prayer meeting was a really good structure. But a group of praying people that pray together, like as friends uh, over a long period of time, so you begin to become aware of the stories that are going on. That That's why we use individual prayer cards so you can track the stories because it, 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 prayer is not magic it's inviting god into it, it, it it's this dual it, it's like that john 17 i and you and you and and you in 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 me in us in the trinity so it's a it's a mutual indwelling that praying together puts their feet on so i'm coming into the heart of god but i'm bringing my heart so i'm not coming I'm bringing my desires into God's life. And as I do that, his desires begin to come into my life. So it's a mutual indwelling. And that is really lovely over a period of time. You know, um, uh, it, yeah. it, it just so and people have shut down most of their life from prayer. I mean, like my dominant prayer last week, I was teaching. We're 45 minutes from a small ski resort. We're north of Philly and they make snow. We don't get a ton of snow, uh, but so, but it's big. So I, my prayer, all I, so I was going to teach three of my grandsons, none of who wanted to learn how to ski. So I was in full panic all week and um, they were age six, 10 and 11. So I was getting people to pray. I was shameless because I knew God had to do it. You know, yeah, and, right. <laughs> and um, I, I just, you know, it was um, uh, so I got by. So by Saturday morning, we had the whole day blocked off. So we were going to be there kind of nine to two, nine to three and had some lessons planned. I was going to do but I still I mean, because they love robotics and video games, especially the two olders. And they had already registered their protest with their dads, my sons and um you know, so I, I mean, this was heavy spiritual warfare. Okay, I I had no confidence this would work, so that's why I was praying. So letting God be part of your scheme, you know what I mean? And people yeah, tend to yeah. block that off, you know, and they block it off corporately and they block it off individually. 
And and the reason they block it off is because that creepy Gnosticism in the church, kind of yeah. a functional stoicism where prayers, but where small as spiritual is just frankly weird. You know what I mean? Right. Like, like it, it's lifting you above life when praying brings God into my life and me into his life. Yeah. Yeah. So good. So good. Did you have a nice time skiing after all that, Paul? Oh, by, sorry, I, I got halfway through my story. I won't tell you the whole story how it happened because it'll take too long. But it was by 1130, by 11 o'clock, we had complete failure. Okay. We, you know, we, we'd had uh, one, the six-year-old quit and the, the other two were about to quit, you know. Right. And so, and it just a whole series of little things happened over the next hour. Um, that God that culminated, um, like I got this, I, I do think the Holy, I, I don't like to say, just have to bear with my conservative reform background. I don't like saying the Lord spoke to me because it elevates it to scripture, but I do think the spirit nudges us. And yeah. the word I use is prompts. And of course, those prompts have to be in aligned with scripture and the wisdom of the body of Christ. But I, I, I went to ski. So my 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 six year old quit at 11 o'clock. And so I had some free time to ski and I I went off, did a couple runs. And and then I just 1130, I just had this restlessness, this prompt, Paul, you know, go inside, go into the lodge. And I and, and just it, 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 it was just a delightful little um, uh, and I. I had lunch with Seth. He was in no mood to go outside. Uh, the The two other kids came in. They were finished skiing. So we had a total failure. All right. But it's all right. I did what I could. I prayed about it. And then uh, who knows how this happened. But at 12 o'clock, Seth, the six-year-old, said, I want to go back. And his dad was so surprised, he quizzed him. I said, are you, he said, are you sure? He said, yeah, <laughs> I want to go back. And then a neighbor had just happened to give my son, Andrew, uh, this little harness thing with a rope on it. And 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 he had said to me earlier, you know, that might be a help. So we, so we brought that. He went, he had so much fun. He was flying. And Zach, the 11-year-old, happened to see Seth flying down this is like 300 feet away through trees. Yeah. And he didn't even have a bright jacket on. He saw him flying down with his harness on and jealousy kicked in. Praise God. Yeah. And he said, Seth's not going to be better than me. And they, he said, Ethan, let's go. And yeah. the rest was history. It was just so, I mean, this is, God <laughs> really you. hears us when we pray. Yeah. You, yeah. you know what I wow. mean? Yeah. yeah. He's yeah. for us in skiing and you know what I mean? So, you have to watch these stories. It's just, my life isn't just sort of this random thing pieced together. I'm just not, sort of not enduring. Is that he really brings these resurrections? Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So good. So good. But you, you've slightly touched on this, but as we have communion with the triune God of the Bible, how do you engage with each member of the Godhead through prayer? Well, that's kind of what the powertrain is. So I'm, Praying, which Paul mentions three times. Paul prays it three times. In Ephesians yeah. 1, he does it twice. And then Ephesians 3 at the end, he does it. 
Um, uh, so, Paul, so you're praying to the Father for the gift of the Spirit who makes Christ present. So it, it's just like at the, at the heart of prayer is making the Trinity present within our communities and in yeah, my heart. Yeah. And I just love that. I just, yeah. it's, it's just, yeah. you couldn't be more biblical than that. Yeah, yeah. You talk about how our prayers are often fixated on our problems. What's wrong with that? And how can we change the perspective of our prayers? Um, well, the way I put it in the book is, you know, is I think of Aunt Edna talking about her hip, you know, and, you know, the, the problem with it's arthritic and, you know, it, it, it's just she keeps bringing it up. It never changes. And so you have these prayer meetings filled with people praying for things that never change. So the way I describe it in the book is that at Edna's hip has killed more prayer meeting than Samson's jawbone of the ass killed Philistines. So, um, so, but I learned from my dad because he, he, because I, I, I was mentored by him with corporate prayer for golly, almost 25 years. And, um, what, what, um, what dad would do. So when Aunt Edna would pray, for the, what he would encourage people to pray for is not just pray for the hip, but pray for all of at Edna. You know, what's it like to have an arthritic hip? So, so you don't dismiss the Ed, Aunt Edna's in your church, but, um, but, but you care for them. And praying with and for someone is a wonderful way to care for their soul. So, so you pray for Edna her whole life, you know, so that she's really, um, you're you're praying for God's spirit to bless her. And then you move up. I call it the the vision triangle, like all human enterprise has vision. And that works it well. Well, you think of a triangle, sort of the middle of the triangle would be strategy. Like, how do you go about doing that? And then the tactics kind of in the to-do list at the bottom. So prayer meetings get stuck down at the bottom on the tactics and go from problem to problem to problem to problem. They're all disconnected. So you move up the prayer pyramid and at the, the top, the, the pray vision, I call pray big. So let's widen our prayers. You know, what, what bigger thing might this lead us to uh, yeah. uh, that, that God would pray for? And that takes a little creativity and thought. Yeah. You, you know, yeah. maybe we just want to be, be praying for other suffering people in our community uh, that, yeah. you know, taking, uh, you know, picking a few prayer targets, you, you know, because it's really important not to overwhelm people's faith because uh, faith and love need to be aligned. Uh, I'm thinking of Galatians 5, 6, you know, the only thing that counts is faith working through love. And so if people's prayer life is weak that means their love is weak and that that, so their prayer is weak and so you don't want to overwhelm their prayer and if you give them their if you give them lots of little problems you overwhelm their prayer their their faith life so praying for fewer things in more depth and giving them time and watching the story helping them to see to help them to take prayer seriously praying about things that are really real in their life and not just sort of random things yeah. anyway yeah. david that's a kind yeah. of a yeah no so good so good so helpful 
Paul, I can't believe how quickly the last hour's gone. We've only gone got halfway through the questions I wanted to ask you today. So let, let's just quickly go through some of them because I'd really um I'll try to have quick answers, to, okay? To have some of your insights into yeah. So so in scripture, we're told to pray with boldness and not to be double minded. And yet we see this growing popular movement of the word of faith movement where people pray in a name it and claim it type of way. How can we stay in the right lane and, and not see God like some sort of genie? Three sentences, the J curve. What's the J curve? Uh, it's it's down going down with Jesus into his death and up into his resurrection. That that the the a weakness of the charismatic movement. And, and again, we I don't want to look at their extremes, okay? Because much of the charismatic movement is very sound, but but a weakness of particularly the extremes and a, and a big weakness that I see in just everybody's prayer life is they don't see that when you invite the spirit of Jesus into your life, you're invi- inviting the death and resurrection of Jesus into your life. Yeah. So it's missing the J curve, like so. It's it's this isn't magic. We're inviting. When you invite Jesus, he comes with his story. And so yeah. people get confused and, and Jesus nails it. And John the Baptist do with one word, the spirit brings fire. Yeah. And that means he brings, he, 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 he when you bring, when you're praying for the spirit to come in your community, he, it's a disruptive force. He brings the dying of Jesus into your life. Yeah. And yeah. Jesus doesn't give you something that he hasn't gone through. Yeah. That's a real quick answer. Yeah. Yeah, so no, the J. Kerr book you. would be, is a wonderful supplement to the praying church book. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Thank you. What does, what role does fasting play in a praying church, Paul? Um, it, 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 the fasting, either individually or in a community, is a, artificial um dying so it it's it, it it's a kind of serb, um turbocharging of prayer be, because it brings the dying of jesus into your most basic need food that what by and i i am not really big on these and if you've got hypoglycemia and need to be careful then go ahead and be careful uh so i, I i'm not you know if there's anything like that but but it's fasting if it's not hurting you, and I I think it's really good to combine it with a social media fast too, and a news fast. So you just shut down your senses, and it it draws it it because it's an artificial uh, fellowship of Christ's suffering. And I'm quoting Philippians three ten there. You know mm-hmm. it, it it so it it turbocharges brain. Yeah. Yeah, very good. I know prayer plays a significant role within your passion for discipleship. Let's talk about for a, that for a few moments. What does healthy discipleship look like and why is it missing in so many churches, Paul? Uh, golly. Um, pastors, because their training is in the preaching. And um, uh, so what does healthy discipleship look like? Uh, I And I think so, some uh discipling does occur within preaching you know um augustine was partly led to faith by ambrose's preaching you, you know what i mean but but um uh discipling has a feedback loop to it where you're actually is this person being changed by what we're we're studying together 
So it, it discipleship is slower, has fewer ideas in it, and it focuses on obedience. Uh, so you're slowing the person's and, and be, I am the director of a discipling mission. It's what we do in the church. So when we when we mentor a church in um, in to become a praying church after our seminar, we 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 want the pastors and leaders to be in a cohort where we want to work on their praying lives. So every week we work with them. I'm, I'm in the middle of a couple of cohorts now with leaders now where we're where I, I, I want to I want to see their prayer cards. I want to hear their prayer stories. I, and I don't want more than six people in the cohort. I can't work with that. You know, it, it's slow, but it's incredibly powerful. It's yeah. like a tank compared yeah. to, um, you know, it, 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 it's like armored column versus just sort of bombing. Um, yeah. you know, nothing like an armored column. It's such, it's slow moving, but boy, is it powerful. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You, you've mentioned the seminar that you run a number of times. I can imagine there's going to be a, a lot of people interested in this, Paul. How do people get more information about it? Where, where's a good place to go? Uh, just our, our website, cjesus.net. You can, you can email us at info at cjesus.net, but we actually have a, someone in uh, Northern Ireland, Colin Miller, who can, uh, do, who can do our praying church seminar. Collins, I've been training him how to do it for almost a year now. He's really a gifted communicator. He, he's a really great guy because he had a secular career in IT, uh, became head of the uh, uh, Northern Ireland Parliament uh, IT. So he's, he's just he's just an all-around great guy. So uh, Excellent. Excellent. we got someone local. Yeah, good. Well, we'll make sure that we've got the link to that website and the link to the book in the description of wherever you're watching or listening to this interview. Before we let you go, Paul, do you have any closing thoughts? Uh, just start. You're you're not going to figure out prayer at what God, what the Spirit's going to do ahead of time. And particularly in my Reformed heritage, we like control. Okay. We're organizers, you know, I mean, we love our systems and the the spirit is a system breaker. He works in the box. He works outside the box and he blows up the box. And it, it just so so you you won't know what he's going to do until you begin doing it, uh, until you begin, until you slow down your life. And I, I would say if I just summarize in one, you know, brief paragraph what does it look like to become a praying church is that, that everything in your, your church is going to, the decision-making is going to slow down. There's going to be more space in the church for prayer and a more of a sense of anticipation. Wondering what's God going to do? How's he going to do it? Uh, you, know, you know, so it, the cadence of your church will change. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Paul, brilliant book fantastic conversation thank you so much for your time would you close our interview by praying for the people watching and listening that we would all grow in our hunger to pray i would love to remember my wife prays better than i my prayers are bland but father i pray that you would do in the church of jesus christ beyond all that we can ask or even imagine father i pray that we would repent of and put aside our busyness uh, and and Father, I, I I pray, Father, that that we would become attentive to Your Son through His Spirit in prayer. I pray this in Jesus' name, Amen.
Oh, man. Paul, thanks again for your time. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you, Dave. It's great being with you.